Hey guys, what is up AP Lit? Let's see, um, it is now 8.25 on Monday evening. So if you're listening to this, uh, first of all, awesome, glad to have you, hope you're doing well. Really appreciate you continuing your work. I think it's good for your brain, good for your soul. Also, if you're listening to this, I'm going to talk about the end of the book. So if you haven't read to the end yet, um, and this is really the only episode I'm going to say this on, but if you haven't read to the end yet, I really think you should go back and read to the end. Um, it's better if you get to this like big ending on your own, just because then you can really have the experience as a reader. So I'm going to start with chapter 24. So in chapter 24, as you guys know, Okonkwo is devastated, but he's also, I should say he's devastated and he's extremely angry, right? He wants his people to go to war. He's afraid they're going to be cowards. Um, And I think as the reader, I think why I love this ending so much is because as the reader, you are most likely thinking like, this is it. He's going to go to war and die in battle. And we would all somehow be like, okay with that, right? Like he, if that were to be the ending, he would like die fighting for his identity and his people and his culture. I don't know, but I don't think that that would really get the point across, which is what Achebe is trying to do. And what is the point that he's trying to get across? We'll talk more about that on Wednesday. So he comes home, he's devastated and he's, he knows he's been humiliated and many of you noted that the the humiliation of the men is like the beginning of the undoing. And I read a really good quote in the beginning. Um, uh, let's see. Hold on. It says the men were wore such heavy and fearsome looks that the women and children did not say no, no, or welcome to them, but they edged away to let them pass. Um, Azima prepares food for her father, but he can't eat. Um, so there's definitely a reaction from everyone when they return. So then the next day, um, Okonkwo wakes up and he's like, you know what? We got to go to war and I'm, I'm not going to say anything except what needs to be said, which is we're going to war. And then surprisingly, there's a speaker who gets up and he's like, hey, we really need to go to war right now. And then in the middle of this, a messenger from the district commissioner's office arrives saying, you cannot hold this meeting. And Okonkwo, of course, takes out his machete and cuts off that guy's head. But it's like not the glory that you want, right? Okay, I need to um I need to read that part to you guys because it's really, really well done. So he says, um, in a flash, Okonkwo drew his machete. The messenger crouched to avoid the blow. It was useless. Okonkwo's machete descended twice on the man's head, uh, twice, and the man's head lay beside him, lay beside his uniform body. The waiting back cloth jumped into tumultuous life and the meeting stopped. Okonkwo stood looking at the dead man. He knew that Omofia would not go to war. He knew because they had let the other messengers escape. They had broken into tumult instead of action. He discerned fright in that tumult. He heard voices asking, why did he do it? He wiped his machete on the sand and went away. It's really unclear at this moment Obviously, we know why he did it, right? He's so full of anger. But it's really unclear at this moment what Okonkwo thinks of this action. I'm intrigued to know what your thoughts were, like, right in between chapter 24 and 25. Okay, moving on. 
um, to chapter 25. So Okongwo knows that now that he's really messed up, his people aren't going to go to war. So the beginning of chapter 25 starts where the, um, I'm going to read this to you. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, when the district commissioner arrived at Okonkwo's compound at the head of an armed band of soldiers and court messengers, he found a small crowd of men sitting wearily in the obi. He commanded them to come outside and they obeyed without a murmur. Okay, so we find out, they're like, where's Okonkwo? You know, where's the guy who did it? They, of course, don't know his name. Then we find out that Okonkwo has hanged himself. Oh. Now, the fact that Okonkwo commits suicide is really, really important to us for a number of very important reasons that I want to go over. Number one, he clearly does not die in the glory of battle, right? And I, I'm honestly wondering, because there are many different answers to this, none of which I have a right answer to, but why do you think Okonkwo kills himself? There are a number of different things. Is it so his clan does not suffer the consequences? Is it because he's so ashamed? Is it because he can no longer live in a world that will not maintain its identity? Like, why do you think? Um, so the other thing that we have to know, hold on, let me go to the part where Obiarika speaks. Um, there's this conversation that takes place where Obiarika explains that this body, it, it's a, uh, how does he articulate it? It is against our custom. It is an abomination for a man to take his own life. Is it, it, it is an offense against the earth and a man who commits it will not be buried by his clansmen. His body is evil and only strangers may touch it. That is why we ask you people to bring him down because you are strangers. So we get this conversation where we understand and Okongwo knew this, obviously that his body will not be buried. It will be placed in the evil forest. And this is a huge deal because if you, we know, cause we read the whole book and we know the evil people, not only did Okongwo not get to pursue the glory of being a man in the Igbo tribe, right? He never got to take his titles. His daughters got married, but the whole thing had really changed. He never got that. But perhaps even in a more devastating way, now this afterlife that he had always dreamed of where he was going to work really hard and then he was going to be an ancestor who was worshipped into infinity, he, know, he died knowing that that would not happen to him. And that's a really important point for us. You guys know this because you've read the book. He has worked his entire life. His biggest fear, when, when I asked you that question, I think last reading, his biggest fear was annihilation. And he annihilated himself. So there's a lot to unpack here, right? Why did he do it? Um, I, I want to read what Obirika's quote because this is really the best thing to read. Okay. Obiarika says, Obi, sorry, this is in the bottom of 191. Obiarika, who had been gazing steadily at his friend's dangling body, turned suddenly to the district commissioner and said ferociously, that man was one of the greatest men in Umofia. You drove him to kill himself, and now he, he will be buried like a dog. End quote. He could not say any more. His voice trembled and choked his words. Shut up, shouted one of the messengers quite unnecessarily. Oh, I do find this ending heartbreaking. And, you know, he is a tragic hero, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but, you know, he's one of the greatest men in the village. And he 
doesn't get the burial. He doesn't get the titles. He doesn't get anything that he set out for. He, he doesn't get anything that he spent his life working toward. And now, even in the afterlife, he won't have any, any of the things that he thought he would have. And I know some of you are probably thinking like, well, the afterlife is a myth and da 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 Okay, fine. Even if you believe that like he wasn't going to be worshipped as an ancestor, it almost doesn't matter because that is his belief system, right? Like that's what he thought. That's like, that's the whole idea of life after death is it's part of the belief systems that drive our lives. <sighs> but the book doesn't end there, y'all. So let's talk about this ending, which is an amazing ending. And I want to talk a lot about this. So I'm going to read the last paragraph. Um, the commissioner went away taking three or four of the soldiers with him in the many years in which he had toiled to bring civilization to different parts of Africa. He had learned a number of things. One of them was that a district commissioner must never attend to such undignified details as cutting a hanged man from the tree. Such attention would give the natives a poor opinion of him in the book, which he planned to write. He would stress that point. As he walked back to the court, he thought about that book. Every day brought him some new material. The story of this man who had killed a messenger and hanged himself would make an interesting reading. One could almost write a whole chapter on him. Perhaps not a whole chapter, but a reasonable paragraph at any rate. There was so much else to include, and one must be firm in cutting out the details. He had already chosen the title of the book after much thought. The Pacification of the Primitive Tribes of the Lower Niger. In this last pa paragraph, I want you guys to really clearly understand what is happening. We have just spent the entire story with the camera lens in the village of the Igbo people. We spent time with them in part one. We saw what happened to them and what they were thinking when the missionaries arrived. And now at the very end of the book, it's like we hand the camera to the white guy and we say, here, you can tell the story from here on out. And all that footage of the Igbo people and their ceremonies, all that footage of Azima and the memorable people like Akemefuna and Nwoye, all that stuff, no one will ever see or hear for 150 years. Now it's all going to be the story of what the white man experiences. And I love the way he ends it and the language that he uses, like, oh, you know, this guy doesn't, maybe he'll get a chapter. No, 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 he'll just get a paragraph. Like the tragedy of Okonkwo is a novel. That is a novel. Um, but when it's up to the white guy, Okonkwo, as we all know, he will have no name. It'll be told through his, the white man's eyes. So we know he won't even understand what just happened. He doesn't understand what was lost for Okonkwo and what was lost for the people of Omofia when Okonkwo killed himself. And it's that moment that I think is so important because in my mind, at least you understand like, oh, this is the story that we never were told. We were never told the story of these people. And it doesn't mean, remember, you got to get away from the binary. It doesn't mean that their life was a utopia and, and the Europeans ruined everything. It means that we never knew anything about them. We were never taught anything about them. And that's, that's, the part that has been missing. Okay. On to this last part. So let's, if, if we were in class right now, I, I would put the title of the district commissioner's book on the board, which is the pacification of the primitive tribes of the lower Niger. And we would go through every word. 
So first, let's talk about the connotation of the word pacification. What does that suggest? Well, it suggests that the people of this area, the native people, have to be pacified, which of course suggests that the people are violent to begin with, right? You have to pacify them. Sorry, I had to get a sip of water. So like, you know, somebody's angry, the baby's angry, you get a pacifier, right? I'm in charge, I'm the mom, I give the baby a pacifier. Same construct. Oh, we're the white people, we're in charge, we have to pacify these people, which means to make less violent. Okay, the primitive tribes. Primitive is pretty clear. Um, it really suggests that these people exist of a time period, like, you know, they exist as if they're back in time, they're underdeveloped, they're savage, their customs are... Um, their customs are outdated, right? All, all of these things. Um, but the word primitive in my mind, like even though we know that some of their customs are really, you know, violate a human right, the word primitive is just extremely, it, it's a generalization, right? Not everything they do is primitive. Much of what they do is, uh, or a lot of what they do is quite advanced, I'm sure, in terms of harvesting or how they run their villages. So primitive really suggests that obviously the person writing the book is more advanced than the people he's writing about. Notice that the word tribes, tribes is not the word that the Igbo people use. They use the word clan. Um, and I just think that, that that's a super subtle detail, but I, I just think it's important, right? Like the, how well can this white district commissioner understand the Igbo people if he can't even get the language right? He calls them tribes. They're not called tribes. They're called clans. And then the lower Niger. So we've never heard this phrase. And if you were looking at a map right now, um, you would see that this is a country and um, you have the Niger and the lower Niger and the Niger river. But these are, this is not, these are not the words that the Igbo people call themselves, right? This place is called Emofia. This is their village. No, no one has ever called this region the lower Niger. So if you look at that title, like what it does is it's, is it helps remind us as the reader okay, we just had this whole story about Alconquo and Omofia and Azima and Nuoye and all of this stuff. But when the white people go back to Europe to say, here's what we experienced, they're going to get everything wrong. Not because they're lying, right? But because they're only speaking to their own experience. And in their own experience, they have failed to understand anything about the people that they have tried to colonize. And that's the story that gets back to us. The last line is really the birth of the single story. And then it, then it takes us, when was this published? 1952, I think. It takes us 150 years to get more than just one story. Good night. I love you. Do you want to come say hi? I'm just recording. Nobody's on the screen. Say right here. Say good night, guys. Okay. I love you. Go with dad. Okay, thank you. She burped into the microphone. Um, and so we have to wait 150 years until any of this gets filled in. And that is really the thing, like the place that we have to start, right? Um, I think that this book brings up a lot more curiosity than anything else. But in its purest form, it says, you know, the book ends with the single story, right? One white, white guy has written a book and you think you know Africa, all of the West. Um, but really until the people who are from this region start writing, you don't know anything about what happened here before the missionary showed up. That is not the place to end. That is the place to start. 
I do. And I want you to think like now, if you had to go back to your heart of darkness paper, if you had to go back to your heart of darkness, you know, whole stance, if I were to say to you, okay, I'm going to teach heart of darkness, but that's it. I'm not going to teach anything else. Then how would you feel about it? I mean, for me, I know as an English teacher, I would feel like you're perpetuating this really dangerous concept that is, and people always say, but Conrad really went down the Congo. But now after reading things fall apart, we understand how much is missing from this story. Does it make Heart of Darkness toxic? I guess in some ways, yes. But what makes Heart of Darkness toxic is if you teach it all by itself and you understand it to be an actual history of some kind. Um, that is, that is not good 21st century teaching. At the very least, uh, we have to read things fall apart. I'm going to post some stuff to Google Classroom next week. And one of the articles is like, you know, basically like why things fall apart isn't enough. Um, but this is a starting point. And in addition to doing some work with theme, one question I'm going to ask you guys next week is, um, what has to happen next? Or should we have done things differently a while ago, if that makes sense. Maybe it doesn't, but that's okay if it doesn't make sense right now. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about is when we finished King Lear as a class, we talked about this concept of a tragic hero. And I want to go over some of those concepts and talk about how Okonkwo is a tragic hero. So first of all, if you remember, the tragic hero has to... Um, hold on, sorry, one sec. I had to retype something in my computer to pull something up. If you remember, the one thing about the tragic hero is he suffers more than he deserves and he evokes pity from the audience. And that is certainly something that I know I said at the beginning of the book and I talked about the podcast. Like the tragic, Okonkwo is not a great guy, right? He's very aggressive. He's very violent. He's very hypermasculine, but he does suffer more than he deserves. At least I think he does. And excuse me, he does evoke a sense of pity from the audience. Okay, so um, Okonkwo isn't, so let's go over the three traits of the tragic hero. So first of all, he's not like born of a royal family, but he's definitely someone that people admire or look up to. Like that guy works to make sure that, um, that he is a man, a proud man of Amophia. So he possesses a tragic flaw. Um, I think that Okonkwo's tragic flaw is pretty obvious. I would call it like, you know, his, his hypermasculinity. Um, and this does lead to his downfall because he cuts that guy's head off with a machete. And then we have a terrible reversal of fortune, um, which of course for Okonkwo happens in the end. Um, so he experiences physical and spiritual wounds. And that of course happens throughout the book. And then he suffers more than he deserves. And then he experiences um, a downfall that evokes pity. Even though we didn't like this guy, we feel bad for him in the end. And the, the, the better question is, I think for me, like why does Achebe choose to create a main character that is a tragic hero in thinking when he is thinking about like how to write the book, how to write a book that tells the story that no one has heard yet. Um, if you guys remember back to your, like the video I had you watch a while ago, Achebe says in his interview, he says like, I noticed that there was a gap in the bookshelf of stories that had not been told. And it's interesting because now that you've read this, like now I hope you're seeing or understanding, like there's actually a lot of gaps in the bookshelf. Okay. Um, 
that's it for tonight. I hope you guys enjoyed this book. I find this book to be amazing and haunting and powerful. And I hope you feel the same way. Um, on Thursday, sorry, on Wednesday, we're going to discuss um, a poem that goes along with the book or doesn't like go along, but I'm going to make it go along. And then we're going to discuss major themes. Have a good night, guys.